This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, this is Sharmila Ganesan and Sharad Kutin. Tonight, the long drawn out battle between the residents of Sea Park Apartments and a landowner who is restricting all access in and out of their buildings. We're going to hear from the journalist who recently brought this story with all its twists and turns to light. Uh, we will also be hearing from a resident who has been living in the apartments. But we want to hear from you as well. What would you do in this situation? You can call 77332900, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08 and we will very shortly be hearing from, um, as I said, uh, both the journalist who um, wrote about the story and, and basically put the various pieces together, but also a resident who has experienced this arduous journey uh, that has brought them to present day. But just a quick recap of what's happened. So the Sea Park Apartments are actually a uh, an old six-block apartment complex located in Sea Park in PJ. And Right now, um, the way the apartments exist, the entrance to the apartments are blocked off. All of the parking areas are off limits to them. Um, and this is because the developer um, who initially owned that area sold off the um, sold off the apartments, car park and common areas that surround those apartment blocks. And so because of that, the residents are currently in this position of having their homes completely encircled by someone else's private land. Um, the current landowner, Yap Sethi, uh, basically says that he has basically has sought to uh, restrict residents from using or passing over this area and has in fact gotten court orders um, and it's gone up to the level of uh, threatening to dig up that land, stationing people at the entrance to collect parking quote-unquote fees. So it, it's it's quite a... It's quite an intense situation, uh, really. Yeah, and it's also somewhat bizarre because you'd be thinking, you know, so this n- new owner bought the land, these this strange parcel of land that surrounds a apartment, um, but what for what purpose? What exactly did they think they could do with the land uh, as it exists, right? The, as you say, the car, the things where the car parks were and, you know, the land that encircles the buildings. Or was there a larger purpose? And, you know, you'd want to know, really, what is the end game for this new owner? Never mind that the other question was, how was it possible for these, this bi- these bits of land to be somehow uh, alienated from the other lots and then sold separately? So I don't want to get into necessarily the the legalese around this, but from the report, it seems like this is related to the strata title. It also has to do with the fact that this this these apartments were built in the 70s and therefore some of the laws that now govern how apartment buildings should be parceled out and what it means to have land around them um, didn't really exist in that same form back then. And so over the years, when the strata title was then provided to the residents, there have been a number of challenges along the way, a a legal battle, um, some disagreements even between residents in terms of how to approach this, which has led us to present day. Now, we will be hearing very shortly from them. But just among the issues that the residents are facing, um, they can't they cannot access cleaning or security services. Um, I've already said they can't park their cars. Um, 
no one to pay utility bills for the common areas. And in fact, by October, the water, electricity, as well as the uh, sewage processing tank might stop working because of the fact that they can't pay these bills. So needless to say, uh, a very tough situation. What would you do, Shamila? You know, Sharad, I don't know. Um because it's also quite impossible to sell and move out, isn't it? Because it, how would someone sell an apartment that is currently caught up in this sort of issue? Um, it is important to say that by law, all of this is okay, which I think is the is the is the tricky thing here. There have been calls for the state to kind of intervene, um, and and what's been said is, well, there is actually no legal basis that they can act on, which is part of the complication. I actually don't know, and that's making me actually quite. Um, when I think about it, it is kind of very disturbing to think that through no fault of their own a group of residents have arrived at this. So if the problem is not legal, then it's a political one, right? It means that people with high authority, whether in the local council, the state, uh, in the land office, need to kind of look at why is it that this was allowed to happen? Because clearly it does not make sense to allow this situation to continue or to allow this kind of problem to replicate itself across, you know, the various jurisdictions we're talking about. So then there needs to be a practical solution. And, you know, if I was a part of the community, I guess collective action, you get all the residents together, you go and see your representatives, whether in local council, you know, the state level, whatever, and, and impress upon them that they need to be part of the solution. So this issue is actually covered very extensively by the fourth uh, and by the journalist who worked on the story, Elroy Yee. And I would very much recommend that you look up the website and uh, look through it. There's a number of issues there that you can look at, but we want to hear from you. What would you do in this situation? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we'll be speaking with Elroy Yi, who is a journalist with the Fourth, as well as Gary Chung, who is a resident of Sea Park Apartments. So keep it here, BFM eighty nine point nine. Bring forth Moolah, BFM 89.9. It is just coming up to 6.15. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We're talking about the Sea Park apartments where the residents who live in those apartments are left without access into their own buildings um, without because this, the land around the apartments have been sold and are now owned by a private um, owner. So... We will be hearing very shortly from them. We want to hear from you as well. What would you do in this situation? You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. Joining us now, Elroy Yi, journalist from The Fourth who covered this story, along with Gary Chung, a resident who has been living in Sea Park since 1981. Elroy, Gary, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hi, hi. Thank you for having us. So firstly, could you both tell us how you first came to stay at Sea Park, uh, at the Sea Park Apartments? Gary, maybe you can start us off. Yeah. Uh, du- during in the 70s, you know, uh, I, I picked PJ area because uh, PJ area is a very nice place to stay. And of course, uh, in our apartment here, you know, it's quite uh, considered a quiet place. And it's a nice, very nice area. Can be accessed is uh, accessed to the market at the time, you know. And uh, we do have a bus bus stop, you know, nearby our place, and it's very convenient. And moreover, 
This is the first apartment that built in PJ during the time in the 70s. Mm. And Elroy, you also actually lived in Sea Park Apartments for a while. Um, what were your experiences? I'm actually a rental tenant. So I moved in in 2017, I think. And it's it's strange how similar it is to Gary that I moved here because of work. So I used to work as a journalist in the Star, so it's quite close to close by. So I moved in here because it's the same. It's a quiet area and um, a bit old, but I just like that it's low density. So that's why I chose the place. Yeah. Now, Gary, uh, when did the issues around land ownership and common facilities first appear? Oh, you you mean the uh, the common area? Yeah, the, you know the problems that you we now are talking about. When did they first appear? Okay, during the time when when I brought this place, and uh, at that time the strata title haven't been issued out. Okay, uh, they they issue out the strata title on two o o six, and uh, I I think it's two o o two or somewhere somewhere around there. Yeah, so. Uh, we got we got our strata title, and uh, we are of course we are very happy about it. And after after that, we thought uh, all all the parking areas and all all the, our surrounding is considered a common area. That uh, of course we do have MCs uh, at that time. So uh, eventually, after twenty years, we found that that piece of land surrounding us belongs to the developer. By the time we discovered that, we do have uh, a lot of meeting and uh, we have we call in the press and everything. And uh, we even uh, sought out from the uh, local authorities to to find out why this happened. But uh, under the Surreal Title Act, under 1985, the act was there already. I thought, I thought even though the time uh, they don't have a strata title act, you know. By the time we have a strata title act, the 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 act should impose a developer to follow the strata title act, so that uh, we can have a common area. But eventually, after that, after that, the developer sold sold uh, those uh, parcel of land to another owner. So after that, uh, we sought of many legal lawyers uh, to go after this case, but eventually the court says that land uh, legally belongs to the uh, third owner. So they cannot uh, do anything. So uh, as well, they keep uh, uh, pressing us to uh, pay the car park and they even don't want to uh, engage a parking company that to collect the park up, uh, car park uh, fees when we go in and out. So we we did uh, sort MPPJ help, and uh, MPPJ says there is no private parking in a, a resident uh, area, so that uh, MPPJ did not let them have the parking license uh, in our SIPA apartment. I, I mean, uh, of course, I thank, thank the local authorities on that. Lah. Elroy, and how did you come across this ongoing issue? Um, and tell us about the process of putting the story together after you came to know about all this. Ah, actually, I came to know about it because people just started showing up and asking me for money for driving into the compound. 
and uh, and I had no idea. And I started seeing barbed wire coming up around the car parks. And this car park area is actually between the blocks. So imagine a family area. It's an apartment. Children and old people around. And there's barbed wire suddenly put up at waist height around one portion of the apartments. So that's how I got to know about the problem and how I got to know my neighbors as well. So I started talking to my neighbors and they told me the whole history stretching back to, you know, 1980s, 2000. And that's, uh, and I just started thinking maybe if a journalist was able to do something really in depth, maybe it might help the, help push the net, the discourse, you know, the discussions about what we can do as a solution for this area. Gary, you know, Elroy just mentioned barbed wire. Can you talk to us about what staying in the apartment has been like the last decade in terms of the specific challenges that this situation has created? Oh, for, for us, uh, it's very, very inconvenient. They set up the barbed wire, they put up the uh, piling, uh, piling uh, row that, uh, that uh, block the uh, parking access and the roads also partly. And uh, of course, even though when you want to come here, come here uh, to have a look at it, even though it, in case there is a fire, you know, the bomba, bomba uh, vehicles cannot cannot go into our apartment because it's all is. I guess uh, you have seen the uh, Eroy's uh, video, you know that there are so many blockages that even though the truck also cannot turn, even though we have a fire hydrant here. I mean. Uh, during the time they they bump, uh, they fence up, they use a bump wire. They didn't even have a some sort of like a warning light that that there is a fence there. And uh, we do have an incident here that uh, a guy that would come in here and then he 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 was uh, you know he bang in he bang into the fence and uh, the bump wire he got injured. Oh, quite seriously. Because uh, you don't have uh, any indicators that there, there is a barbed wire there. It's so dark, you know. Consider is a is a those uh, blind spot area that uh, the 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 uh, one of the owner who, who rode the bike was uh, injured. I mean, consider is very inconvenient. So uh, some of the residents here, even though they they fence up, the the uh, some of the owners are very angry that. Uh, they destroyed the barbed wire and they took it off. Gary, you know, the article that Elroy wrote references many conflicts between residents and representatives of the landowner. I mean, uh, as as we heard just now as well, including hiring men who demanded money from residents who are driving in and out of the apartment. Tell us more about all this, the sort of um, issues you've had with the landowner. Okay. At that time, at that time they hired a group of uh, so-called parking attendant. So when whenever you want to come in, you have to pay $10. $10 to them. Okay? So most of the residents, most of the residents, they they, they did not park into the uh, parking area. And quite a number of uh, residents who park outside, outside SIPA uh, apartment, that means in the housing scheme area, some, uh, you know, we already informed MPPGA that uh, uh, we have a big uh, problem here for parking. So uh, we we uh, we hope the authorities from the MPPGA won't give uh, any summons to to those cars uh, that are parked uh, at the residence area. So we advise uh, we advise uh, uh, our residents here to put up uh, 
this car belongs to Sipa Apartment. But I also thank the authority for not uh, summon <laughs> the, <laughs> any residents here, didn't get any summons. But uh, for MPPA, you know, they, they are very helpful. I thank, I thank them very much. Elroy, can I ask you a question? We've been talking in sort of general terms about the owners, uh, the previous and the current one. Is the identity of the owner important to understand how the situation developed? The identity of the owner? Yeah, who they are, who they are socially, politically, economically, in business terms. Is it important? Mm -hmm. I think uh, maybe I, I would just, as a journalist, I would just say that the original developer is Sea Housing Corporation who uh, developed the entire sea park um, area. area. And they also were in charge of Taman Tun in its early days. Um, and that company is owned by Tan Sri Lian Lian, who was a huge rubber tycoon in the past. Um, he sold the land um, after offering it to the residents. And while residents were um, seeking advice about how to proceed, the developer sold it to a person called Yap Seiti who is a business associate. Now in the story and in court documents that we've come across, he is actually he actually managed a hotel that was owned by the developer and was at one point approached by the developer to manage the parking lots in Seahaw, in Sea Park Apartments. But instead of taking up that uh, position as a car park manager, he uh, mysteriously bought the land. So that would be their relationship. I don't know if they have political connections or anything. But that's their relationship, yeah. Elroy, just to close the loop on that, actually. So in the yeah. article, you've mentioned actually several times trying to reach out to the original developer as well as the current landowner for comment, but not really getting any response. Is there any sign that they're willing to consider the residents' positions or engage in discussions with them? In my experience, um, the landowner has, when I caught up with him um, by pretty much going to his address. And, um, um, he says that, just talk to my lawyer. And I respected that, you know. So I went to speak to the lawyer and the lawyer didn't want to comment on the piece. So um, then I went to the original developer, Sea Housing Corporation, who are now not as big as they used to be, I would say. Um, and they have a small office in KL, in um, the Lian Lian building. Um, and I offered to... So when I asked for archival documents related to Sea Park Apartments, they said it's a mess. We haven't been keeping them in order. And I offered to help them reorganize it uh, in exchange for access. Um, and they said no. And when it came time for an interview comment, they said no. So there was no response from them whatsoever. We will continue the conversation after this with Elroy Yi, journalist from The Fourth, who covered the story on Sea Park Apartments, along with Gary Chung, a resident who lives in Sea Park since 1981. We're talking about the Sea Park Apartments that currently are, um, where the residents are currently engaged in a dispute with the landowner. They've lost access uh, to basically get into the apartment buildings. We want to hear from you. What would you do in this situation? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Because freedom matters. BFM 89.9. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We're talking about the Sea Park Apartments in PJ, which have been embroiled in a decades-long dispute, first with the property developer and then the current landowner, which has now resulted in them 
losing access to be able to enter the building um, because the land around their apartment has essentially now been sold. Um, we want to hear from you. What would you do if this happened to you? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're continuing our conversation with Elroy Yi, journalist from the Fourth, who covered the story, as well as Gary Chung, who is a resident living in Sea Park Apartments. Gary, if we can jump back in, um, we heard about the different things that have been inconvenient for you. And one of those things, of course, is that common facilities have been removed, things like cleaning, security, utilities, uh, sewage. Um, what have been the impact or the consequences of this? Okay, for for the cleaning cleaning of the uh, SIPA apartment, uh, common areas, so-called, you know, some, some residents are willing to come out to uh, clean their certain part and, you know, like like uh cotton royal, so uh like like the uh garbage, every owners here and residents here, even the tenants here, they are willing willingly to walk to the garbage uh site to throw the garbage. For for the common common area of the sewage, it all depends on the uh, electricity, you know that uh that are uh, now uh this uh, YB. Lim Yiwai is helping us uh, to pay some of uh, pay the common area uh, electrical bill. So I, I, uh, as a owner here, we are we appreciate uh, Lim Si, uh, Lim Yiwai help, and uh, I I would like to thank her very much uh, for helping us to move on to this present uh, situation. Elroy, if I could follow up on that question, I mean, what do you think of the long-term consequences of letting the situation of uh, common facilities, sewage included, which obviously residents can't deal with themselves, uh, even in a Gotenrong style, uh, what are the long-term consequences? Uh, I think uh, this is this is a question that's um, an issue that, that I actually heard about um, through making this documentary and interviewing Dr. Soraya from KRI, Kazana Research Institute, who talked about the, uh, the consequences of removing the control and management of uh, common areas from residents. Uh, in the long term, um, it just leads to less participation because maintenance is, becomes difficult. And um, when maintenance is difficult, less, less participation and goes in a cycle until the system breaks down. Um, and this is exactly how urban slums are created. Um, and Dr. Soraya says she's seen this happen um, across her career in research. Um, and while residents here, I have to say, um, are extremely self-reliant uh, for the most part, I've seen my neighbors repair the road um, using mud from um, around the compound. Um, some One of them helps landscape the back fence. We don't have a garbage issue because everyone takes care of their own garbage and makes sure that it's in the right place. Um, and MBPJ still picks up the garbage from there, which is good. And we keep our stairwells clean for the most part. Uh, we even go the extra mile and care for the strays that come into the apartments. And uh, so I feel like the community here is stepping up to the challenge of taking care of ourselves. The only problem is the structures just don't seem to work for us. Um, if we don't have ownership, we have no control. Um, and that's just the way the system works. Uh, 
we would very, I'm sure the residents here would very much like to make sure that the sewage, um, the, if the sewage tank that services the apartments works for forever. But if we don't have control of it and we don't have the, the, the legal right to pay for electricity for it, it will break down sooner or later. And once that breaks down, the cycle maybe just goes one more cycle further, right? It becomes more difficult to maintain and less people want to participate and on and on. But we don't want to see that happen in any neighborhood. Um, and I don't think the government wants to see that in any neighborhood. So maybe just for the residents to step over that first hurdle of getting back the control and uh, uh, maintenance of the common areas, um, maybe it's something that the state could do. Um, and once that happens, I'm very sure that the residents will take up the responsibility and making sure that the neighborhood is better than before. Actually, um, I do want to get into what the uh, state and the local authorities can do. But before that, if you could talk us through the legal actions that have been taken so far by residents and how have they panned out? Right. Um, actually, it's a long, case, long court case. I think um, the residents brought the original developer and the new landowner and the state land office to court. Um, they lost at the high court um, and they appealed, but uh, the appeal were failed at the court of appeal. And we, the residents decided to take it up to the federal court, but they were denied um, leave to appeal. So in that, case, in that scenario, um, the legal avenues for redress seems to have, for the most part, closed. Um, of course, there are many legal avenues that um, lawyers can explore, but um, on the surface, the legal avenues for redress seem to have uh, pretty much come to an end. All right, if I could just kind of follow up on that, the question of mm. residents seeing themselves as a part of a community. And I know as somebody who also is in a management committee who knows how, <laughs> how you know, community of just 100 people, 100 owners uh, might not always pull together. What have been the drill challenges in getting people to see or uh, form a consensus about how to move forward? Yeah, there are 264 units here. So it's a bit more than your 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 neighborhood, um, but yeah, even in a small situation, um, it feels like a microcosm of Malaysian politics. Maybe um, there are always differences of opinions. So I feel like uh, for people like Gary, who have been at this for many years, and for people like I'm going to name drop some residents like Keith and Elvira and um, all the people who have tried who have voluntarily taken up a role at MC, people like yourself, Sharon, um, it's a thankless task. By the way, nobody pays you. Um, you spend Indeed. hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, and you face the complaints of your neighbors who stay right next to you. Oh my gosh. And you see them every day. You know, it's not an easy situation at all. Um, and I guess, but it forces us to work together, right? Um, we, we cannot say that we don't want to live in a strata community anymore. Yeah, you know, strata, strata buildings are everywhere. Apartments are everywhere. We just have to learn how to deal with these differences and move together even though we disagree and still be friendly with each other because if you're not friendly, you know, your quality of life drops if you have an unfriendly neighbor. So I think it's all these things. Maybe we're still learning how to deal with it. Maybe our, our parents never lived in such a situation. And the, even like some lawyers are telling me that the laws are also catching up with strata living. Um, but we need to learn how to work together. We need to learn how to pull together, solve our problems, maybe depend on the government sometimes for situations we can't get out of. 
but then take responsibility after that, you know, take ownership of what happens around us. Yeah. Gary, what are some of the options that you personally are considering? I mean, what's next for you in this long and frankly difficult journey? Oh, for for me, you know, since uh, almost 20 years past, you know, we sought help everywhere. But, uh, but eventually, eventually the bottom line says the landowner is always right. <laughs> okay, but uh, hopefully... Uh, I hope the government will step in, like uh, Ministry of Housing and uh, local authorities, like uh, land office. Uh, I mean, land office like Mandukusa, you know, should uh, uh, seriously look into our situation. Because if if this, to what I think in mind, this is a, a precedent a case. If our case cannot be solved, that will be. That will be followed by many, many cases like uh, apartments or even though flats or condo uh, in in Malaysia. I hope I hope we, we will set a, a good procedure for every everyone staying in in the uh, strata area. This is what I hope for. Elroy. To get things done. Mm, yes. Yeah, Elroy, I just want to ask you about, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the alternative strategies you're looking at, uh, what residents wow. might seek to do in the near term at least. Oh, that's a really great question because, um, like you mentioned, it's very hard to get a consensus, especially without an MC to organize people. Um, but as I talk to residents, they have great ideas. These are ideas that are really out of the box. Um uh, one of our residents organized survey, online survey to gauge what the residents want, and he's been doing that and um, looking at the findings. Um, and one resident just the other day pulled out a proposal to the council to turn Sea Park Apartments into a sustainable living pilot project um, because there's open area, there's places for solar, there's places for greenery. Um, and if you just get us past the land issue, um, turn us into a pilot project for sustainability. I mean, for redevelopment, urban redevelopment um, in in a strata context. And these are really out-of-the-box ideas that, and maybe we do need to look at these solutions that residents themselves are bringing up because they've been through the lived experience. They've, they know the neighbours. They know what might work, what wouldn't work. And I mean, that proposal actually went to the council, but they never heard back. And that was way back in 2018, um, before this whole climate change maybe even really got going, this climate change movement. So I think there are really out-of-the-box solutions that residents can rally together around um, that would be good not just for the people in the apartments, but for the whole neighborhood and for the state, in fact. Because these sort of projects, um, I mean, push the boundaries for what strata living can be. And it comes from the residents themselves, which means they want to do it. Um, they will take ownership of it and they will make sure they will try their best to make sure it works. Um, so maybe we should um, start listening a bit to the residents here. Um, they might not speak in a very uh, united or cohesive voice all the time, but I think there are many things that we can learn. Yeah. Gary, Elroy, would you like to leave us with a final message? Yeah. For me, you know, I, I hope everything will go smoothly. Hope, hopefully we will get back our... Uh, land that uh, obviously belongs to us, the common area so-called. 
And I hope that uh, Malaysians all over the country will start getting involved in their neighborhoods positively, um, learn to work together with your neighbors, because at that level, then if we can govern ourselves, then we can ask more from our government. That's what I hope for. Elroy, Gary, thanks for speaking with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. That was Elroy Yi, journalist from The Fourth, um, as well as Gary Chung, a resident at the Sea Park Apartments, speaking to us about the current uh, issue that the Sea Park Apartments are uh, facing with their with the landowner and basically having lost access. It feels like a siege. It's, it's like I, the CPAC apartments are under siege. It does sound that way. They can't, basically, they can't get in or out. They don't have services or utilities. Uh, let us know. What would you do in this situation? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Business. Finance. And music, BFM 89.9. It is 6.52. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We're talking about the Sea Park Apartments, um, which was covered by the uh, by the 4th. Um, and essentially, they've been engaged in a decades-long uh, battle with the uh, landowner. Um, and... I'm trying to explain it in a way that uh, that is clear without sort of seeing the images or the maps that were drawn out in the article. Basically, um, they own the apartments, but the developer sold all of the common areas that surround their apartments, which means now there are no car parks, um, the roads leading in and out of the apartments, all of them don't belong to the residents anymore. Uh, which, uh, as you said, Sherrod, actually does sound a little bit like they're under siege, right? They can't conveniently get in and out. They don't have utilities. Uh, they uh, The sewage uh, system doesn't belong to them anymore. So a whole lot of issues. And I think the saddest part about all this is that legally, they don't seem to have any recourse. So we've been asking you, what would you do in this situation? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have a number of thoughts that have come in. Uh, so Jimny says this shouldn't happen in the first place to begin with. I saw the video yesterday and was quite shocked about this. It must be quite a nightmare to stay there for years in this endless hell. The land office must step in to resolve this or at least be a mediator. It seems everyone just washed their hands and avoided the matter. Just because it's legal in the eyes of the law doesn't mean we should ignore it. It's a human right to have a livable house. Um, There are some red flags in the scenario from the developer to the new owner. The intent seems questionable and I would even doubt that this is a big issue for the land office uh, to approve. Yeah, so Jimmy, I think you're absolutely right. There seem to be a lot of red flags and the Property rights don't trump everything, especially when it has social consequences, right? So the government or the state authorities have a responsibility not just to protect property owners, but also to protect communities. And the communities are going to be impacted negatively in this case, really in significant ways. We talked, we heard about the barbed wire being put up and all these, um, you know, strategies by the property owners to somehow extract some sort of money from the residents it seems like wanting to pa- uh, parking to be paid for and such then then we have a real problem that needs a political solution we do have a caller on the line who is a resident of the sea park apartments as well good evening keith what are your thoughts 
Hi, good evening. I'm actually the former uh, Management Committee chairperson from 2019 to uh, 2021. Um, and I'm current owner, of course. Uh, my mother lives there together with my daughter. Um, I actually have to say thank you, uh, Elroy and the Force, for actually bringing up this topic. Uh, and it's, you know, I'm really glad this topic was raised and, and made known to a, a much larger uh, community. My thoughts are that the, the current situation that we are in, um, I mean, to be fair, it, it was actually uh, exacerbated by both sides. I don't think it was, you know, just the landowner who's kind of like at fault here. And I just want to really frame that as, as the first point. But that being said, um, the what we've tried to do, I mean, currently we are under a court order, uh, the owners, not the residents, the, the owners are under a court order, or the MC rather, to actually pay a debt that's owed to the landowner. And because we haven't decided how to pay and when to pay that debt, and in fact, partly part of the um, residents, part of the owners actually uh, have already indicated that they don't plan to uh, pay part of the debt uh, is part of the problem. And because of that, the bank accounts have been garnished. So because the bank accounts have been garnished, there is no way to actually uh, collect money from the collective uh, community to hire vendors to do the cleaning, the security, clean the, you know, the uh, service, the, the, the sewage tank and things like that. So right now, what we're trying to do, a small number of uh, owners are trying to get together. We just had a meeting with the Commissioner of Buildings today. In fact, uh, YB Limiwe was there also. Uh, we really appreciate her support. You know, it, it has been unwavering. And I think what we're trying to do is to actually re, uh, reinstate the MC, at least have some people behind the MC, and then try and, and uh, find some way to uh, communicate um, an intent with the landowner, at least get some legal help. Because right now, there's no, no, no money to pay any lawyers either. Keith, can I ask you a quick question? Because you said that some of the responsibility uh, needs to be uh, placed on the shoulders of the residents. Just broadly speaking, what are the lessons learned? Or what do residents need to avoid in trying to resolve problems like this? I think, first of all, we have to come to the table knowing full well that um, there has to be some part that, that, I mean, nothing comes for free. Right, land isn't free. I think we have to get away from understanding that, you know, some things are owed to us just because, uh, you know, it seems that way. I think we have to really understand that, first of all, there is a court order. We do have to, I mean, a court order is a court order. You've got to follow it. I mean, or maybe go live in another country, right? Um, this is where the, where the, the court has no, <laughs> uh, no, no, no sort of law on you. I, you, you have, there is a court order. We have to uh, find out how we can actually make that payment. Uh, and because... I think at the end of the day, um, we shouldn't have gotten involved in uh, lawsuits that I think at the end of the day didn't end well for us. But you know what? It, what's done is done. So now what we have to do is to kind of like deal with the consequences and really come together and uh, as a as united whole to sort of like decide on what to do. And I think that's really the, the key. 
Keith, thanks for calling in and for sharing your experiences. Uh, and we'd like to hear from you. Keep your thoughts coming. We're talking about the Sea Park Apartments and uh, asking, what would you do if you were in the situation of having access to your apartment building cut off? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. It is just coming up to 7.08. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're talking about, as we've said, the Sea Park Apartments, which are um, a set of older apartments in PJ that have found themselves in the unfortunate position of being cut off from any of the common areas that they initially assumed was part of the apartment building. So basically what's happened is that the land surrounding the apartments, which includes car parks, um, access roads, uh, the uh, sewage system housing, uh, the, the, the area in which the sewage system is housed, all of which the land has been sold and therefore doesn't belong to the apartment anymore, which has led to the residents being locked in um, and not being able to get in and out without having the current owner, for instance, saying they have to pay a fee, not having a place to park their car and a whole lot of challenges, basically. Uh, this came to light because of an article that the fourth, um, in fact, a project that the fourth did highlighting the situation. Um, and we'd like to hear from you. What would you do in this situation? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start with um, this message that has come in from... Um Actually, there's so many different thoughts coming in. Ah, Madi says, I've been involved in different JMCs for the last 15 years. My comment is that this is a failure of local government. We must have local government elections for the rights of owners and to not be bullied by developers. Madi, I think uh, at a certain level, I think we all can agree that a local government uh, needs to be more transparent. It needs to be more responsive. Uh, elections might produce that uh, transparency and responsiveness. I don't think necessarily, but I think maybe in a, uh, it's a it's a good start politically. But I, uh, like you, I've been involved in uh, in MC work, and I, I do think that Madi, that there's also a question of how communities of residents as a group. Uh, whether they see themselves as a community or not, act, right? And the kind of strategies they uh, elect in dealing with the practical problems that they encounter. So actually, we had a, uh, a a resident call in earlier as well, right, Keith? And um, he highlighted some of the challenges when it comes to this sort of collective action. And CG is messaging in saying, I don't agree with Keith. The developer is at fault. How do they sell the houses being sold without a common area? I see them trying to take the residents for a ride. According um, according to the reporting, the developer tried to sell the common area to the developer, f- uh, to the residents for 800k and later sold it to a business associate for half the price. Look at all these red flags. CG, um, you know, for what it's worth, I think if, if you look at the, 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 the larger report that the fourth put out, they did detail what some of the internal disagreements were with the residents. Um, and that's interesting as well, right? Because it does highlight the the nuances and the challenges of getting a group of people to come together and to collectively fight for something. Um, but some of these problems as well are related to the fact that the laws involved in the situation go back three decades and that 
there wasn't a lot of clarity in the earlier um, agreement between the developer and the residents when they bought their apartments. Uh, and that's what's led to this current situation. So the journalist Elroy, uh, he, the, we spoke to, you know, uh, outlined, yes, the problems of the legislation, the question of how, the, the numbers of us who now live in strata title uh, properties and the need for the law to catch up with, you know, all the kind of gaps and, you know, uh, blind spots in the law. But I think putting that aside, for me, you know, Shamila, it's always interesting to hear these stories because they're about human beings. And, you know, Roy says something, says something very interesting. He said that, you know, it's a kind of a microcosm of Malaysian politics. And I, I do agree in some sense because all, it's only the owners who get to speak, right? It's uh, not just residents, more importantly, owners. And owners have absolute uh, um, local standi to be involved in these things. The question at the end of the day is how do they come to a common sense of purpose and uh, how they uh, kind of deal with a problem when in fact there are all these very human things, uh, egos and <laughs> different interests. And there's some people thinking long term, there's some people thinking short term, some people willing to take the pain of paying off a debt in order to get to the next level and other people who are not. And as that article highlighted, also a lack of trust that everybody has their same interest at heart. And I think that can also um, make these kinds of negotiations quite difficult. A couple of people making similar points. Um, Ahuat says, I'm sure something can be done, maybe by the government. How can someone's access to their home be blocked? Julian, meanwhile, says, I'm appalled that this could happen, but I'm not really surprised. It's absurd that these people are being held hostage and extorted in their own homes. Ahuat, Julian, I think you you know, you both kind of address a very important point. It seems like some level of common sense did not apply when thinking about approvals for this purchase, right? How is it possible to look at a map? Because I think the, the land office or all the competent authorities would have to have looked at the map at least to see what consequence this is. If uh, the developer was fair and generous, then you have a different situation. If, they, if they're hostile or exploitative, you have a different scenario. Mm. Well, um, speaking of hostile, KW um, has a has a sort of out there suggestion. KW says, I guess hiring a gangster would be a better solution. There is no way the residents can fight and win legally, which is actually a sad state of affairs, isn't it? <laughs> and I, I, and I, KW, you might actually not mean this in all seriousness because, I mean, pitting one group of gangsters another against another gangsters only gets everybody caught up in the logic of, of you know, that kind of extortionate ecosystem, right? So I don't know. Uh, I, I think I sense your sense of your frustration. I think and maybe people will think that the problem, I think, for all the landowners of the residents is that how do they exit? They, even if they wanted to exit the situation, you know, what kind of a loss would they have to, financial loss would they have to take? Right. And and perhaps how much of a financial hit have they already taken, um, having been doing this for a while now, right? Keep your thoughts coming. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Banish fraudulent manoeuvres, BFM 89.9.
BFM 89.9. That was ACDC with Back in Black. It is 7.20. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We've been talking about the Sea Park Apartments and uh, the fact that they are essentially cut off from access, being able to go in and out from utilities, from services, because of a dispute with the uh, landowner. Essentially, all the common areas, other than their apartment buildings themselves, have been sold. Um, we've been asking you for your thoughts. What would you do if you um, were stuck in this situation? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, let's start with uh, this anonymous uh, message uh, who says... I apologize as I don't understand. They don't own the land and the court also said so. Why do they think they have the right to the land? So um, if you haven't read the article already, I've been saying this repeatedly and it's partly because um, there are a number of different points that are important to know, which um, is worth reading and, and they're like original documents and all that included on the uh, on the article as well. Um, but Anon, it's essentially a lot of this has to do with what the expectation is when you buy an apartment. So if you buy an apartment unit, the expectation is that the car park that is attached to your apartment will remain yours, that the uh, access road driving in and out of your apartment will remain the buildings, um, that the common areas that are attached to the apartment will remain accessible. Um, and because these buildings, this particular apartment uh, was put in place nearly 30, more than 30 years ago, in fact, what's happened is that the land that all of these common areas are housed in was sold while the apartment buildings alone remained under the residence. So you're not wrong to say that legally, actually, they don't have the right to that land. But then the larger question is actually of what is right and what makes sense in terms of when someone buys a property. Yeah, so it seems that these uh, individuals, these residents in the Park apartments are a victim of a history or inadequacy in terms of legislation when these developments happened. If you remember when uh, uh, Gary from who one of the residents of Park spoke to us earlier, he talked about the, the years it took before they got their strata title. And it was quite extraordinary. It was, you know, a couple of decades. And so, you know, the, the issue is uh, gaps in the law. The, the oddities of the way the parcels of land are and the ability for the owner to alienate those common areas uh, to themselves and then and then also to sell it on to some other developer, sorry, some other person uh, who's now got ideas about how to use that land that he's not since purchased. Well, Jimny is saying, I have a rather new service department um, of such a setting. I don't have parking allocated. Instead, I need to rent it from a renowned parking management company. I have no control of the rent and they increase it every other year. So this case is not rare anymore. As long as you stay in a service department, this scenario can happen and is happening. Jimmy, this is really quite scary when you think about, uh, but then the question I would ask is, why did you still buy that property, right? If that was the agreement or were you not a, in, uh, aware of the arrangement? So I'm curious as well. Um, and it also goes back to, I think, is that what you signed up for? Um, and, and, and it is, of course, entirely possible that these are questions that the residents back in the 70s didn't think about. The possibility that the park, the car park and the road outside their apartment would be sold. I mean, that's really not something anybody 
would think about, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think it is it is a little bit different if you go into the situation voluntarily, knowing that this is the expectation. It's different when you're blindsided by. So then the, then the question of whether policy needs to catch up, right, is, that, is it desirable that uh, apartments should be able to do this, right, to uh, alienate those common areas to a company in order to create profits? And the question is where those profits go to, right? Um, uh, I think it's very problematic. So the, there might be some sort of policy questions that need to be addressed by the competent authorities. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Kian says, why not have a fundraiser to raise funds to pay the landowner and solve the land matters? Um, Kian, you know, I, I think the, the issue here, um, and as our, our guests earlier talked about as well, is not really a lack of funds. It's actually that the the person who owns the land is unwilling to uh, settle and, and let the residents have, you know, have access to that land. Yeah. And there's, yeah, I think there were two issues, if I'm correct. One is that the court order, you know, there's a, de- there's a debt that needs to be paid. I think that's one issue. The other issue is that whether this is a relationship they want to have, right? Do the old residents want to have a relationship with the current owner that includes paying some sort of fee for access to those common areas, car parks one side, but also things that, are in fact, I think, key to their to just the quality of life. I mean, if you don't have access to your sewerage system or control over its um, maintenance, yes. then that's a serious problem. Well, just to close off, um, a message from another anonymous listener, which I think really um, encompasses a lot of the different threats that we've been talking about. So they say, I wonder how often the National Land Code, the housing and property statutes are reviewed to safeguard, especially homeowners' rights. It would also involve town planning aspects. How often are our basic living rights looked into? At the next GE, I'd be voting for the party who can holistically deliver the decent living standards that politicians like to promise voters. Um, I'd vote for you, Anon. Wouldn't disagree with that. I think that's really the the very minimal thing that we should be expecting from the people we vote in. But, you know, but of course, there's also our responsibility, right? It's not just the politicians. Communities need to come together, put aside their differences and seek the best solution. And they can only, I think, best uh, be effective if they speak in one voice. I mean, numbers really do count, not just in politics, but I think in terms of local, uh, you know, advancing local interests and community interests. That's all we have for you today. After the 7.30 news, uh, we are shifting gears completely on popcorn culture. We're throwing back to American Pie from 1999. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Keep your thoughts coming and keep it here. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.